재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 And we're back for part two of our economic focus on uh, the government's recent decision to lower the interest rate ceiling on private loans. We're going to take a closer look at the uh, subprime loan market overall, as well as the broader issue of this uh, big emergency that policymakers have been uh, cautioning about, the household debt issue that could threaten to derail the entire Korean economy. Give us your thoughts. Text us at pound 1013 for 51 or send us a CalTalk message by adding TBS EFM as a plus friend. We will be joined by a professor from the UK, but here in the studio, once again, Professor Yang Jun-suk. Now, again, uh, Professor Yang, I, uh, there's not a lot of, I suppose, sympathy and not a lot of people necessarily shed a tear for these private lenders who are crying foul and saying that their business operations are at risk. But in your view, um, are they indeed at risk of going out of business? If you recall, I suppose a few years back, the collapse of the construction industry uh, led to sort of this domino effect where the savings banks, which is, of course, a very interesting term here in Korea, where a lot of them actually went out of business. There was a big run. A lot of people uh, were out of their uh, entire life savings, essentially. Is that a big problem for the financial sector right now? Well, some savings banks will probably have, uh, will probably have some problems over this. Uh, but I don't think that's, going, that's unusual. A lot of savings banks are really in a precarious position to begin with. So if it's not going to be this cut in interest rate, maybe something else like a drop in the construction market or so on. Uh, So there will be some banks which may go into problems over this, but industry as a whole, probably not. Now we have this uh, sentiment that's been expressed all around the world, whether you've uh, read books by Thomas Piketty or you're a supporter of the uh, Occupy movement worldwide or you've seen the recent phenomenon of the popularity of Bernie Sanders who's running for president on the Democratic side, is this idea that things are inherently unfair. The uh, top 1% get everything. Uh, More of the wealth is being distributed in a greater proportion to them. The 99% or even the poorest of the poor really are out of luck and you reflected how it is rational to charge a higher interest rate for a more uh, risky borrower but in essence what you're seeing is now these financial instruments are not open to uh, the people who may need it the most if you need a loan and you need a decent rate if you are someone who uh, quite frankly is not I guess has no business getting that loan you are really in a situation where you can't improve yourself. Is there anything, I mean, this is a very broad question, but from a fundamental view, is there anything else we can do to help the lower income uh, class get out of this financial mess? Okay. Uh, If you rely on the market mechanism by itself and you want to have a low interest rate for risky people, that's not going to work. Uh, As I said before, if you want to institute that kind of a system, you probably need somebody to uh, take care of the risk and possible losses if it develops. So usually when you have a system like this in a foreign country, you have government guarantees of loans made to risky people who policy-wise, government would like to have low interest rate access. Uh, But 
let me uh, try to give a little bit of hope uh, to this problem. Uh, I've been hearing anecdotally, so there hasn't been a real study on this yet, but Korean version of micro-lending, misogumyong, uh, apparently, uh, well, they started this pro- project uh, with some government pressure. So the uh, large c h uh, a b o l companies have to set aside a certain amount of money that they could lend to, uh, to micro-lending on. And the interest rate on those loans, I believe, is something like 15%. So it's a lot lower than this uh, 30% range. But apparently, because they're monitoring it very well and uh, they're they're only giving micro-sized loans, uh, they're actually making a bit of a profit on it. Not a huge profit, but they're not going in the red. They're not making losses. Now, if we can examine that model closely and see how they do it, then they might offer a hope for the future for uh, providing at least a lower interest rate loans to people who are supposedly at high risk. If if someone who is an economics expert uh, like yourself, uh, who who follows these trends, and it only recently kind of came onto your radar, it's obviously not really well known by the wider public. Why wouldn't something like this be more successful? Is it a marketing issue? Is it the fact that these people who are in dire straits want more of the big chunks like tens of millions of won that they're being promised by these flashy ads and micro-lending isn't going to be a suitable vehicle for them? What can help make micro-lending more successful, you think? Okay, well, again, uh, there hasn't been a formal study on the uh, Korean version of this, so this is just anecdotal. Uh, But they've been doing a lot of monitoring. Uh, Apparently, what these uh, uh, Chebor finance companies are doing is they're hiring a lot of uh, newly retired financial uh, people from uh, financial institutions like banks and securities companies. Uh, As you know, people uh, from the banks usually retire or forced retire very early. So they uh, hire all these people at very low wages. And they're be able to use them to monitor the people who borrow money very intensively. Mm. And because they monitor uh, these pe- uh, the borrowers very intensively, uh, they uh, have a more accurate picture of what their credit risk is. So they can decide more accurately whether this person, even though he has a cr- bad credit rating, may be a good risk. And then they keep on monitoring him throughout the duration of the loan. And... Again, because this is micro-lending, even if one person fails to repay the loan, it doesn't affect the entire fund too much because, well, micro-lending means that you, know, sure. you only borrow a very uh, little amount. So that, those type of factors may be behind why this project seems to be working. Now, I say seems to be because, again, the evidence is only anecdotal so right. far. There has to be some formal study on this. We're going to try to get a more global view on the issue of high-interest loans or subprime loans, as you have it. Uh, very pleased to have joining us from the University of Leicester, financial economics professor Panikos Dimitriadis. Hello? Oh, hello. I can hardly hear them. Okay, um, I'll try to speak up a little louder. Uh, thank you for joining us, yes, Professor. Uh, first of all, the, the idea of subprime loans, especially in the United States uh, with the 2008 financial crisis and these subprime mortgages uh, being wrapped up in these various derivative interests being blamed for the, the collapse of the uh, financial economy, uh, it seems like they are making a bit of a comeback, a uh, subprime uh, type of loans. Uh, why do you think we are seeing this kind of phenomenon? Well, 
I think the first thing one needs to say is that, yes, uh, subprime lending has got a bad name for being one of the causes of the financial crisis, but it wasn't, it wasn't the only factor. It, it was actually um, the, the, the model that um, the lenders were using, which is basically to originate and distribute, and the products they also used to do that with, with mortgage-backed securities and other uh, collateralized uh, asset obligations, which, which um, basically shifted the risk elsewhere throughout the global economy. And also the role of the rating agencies and, uh, in, in those days uh, was, was, was critical because right. they were basically under, underrating um, the risk. So it wasn't necessarily the, the subprime as such, which was um, the, the main cause of the crisis, the subprime lending. So what I what I like to say is that perhaps subprime lending has got a bad a, a bad okay. name that doesn't really fully deserve because it has a, it does have a role to play. Okay. Uh, and and of course, if it's priced uh, correctly, and and if we have. Um, the regulatory framework that is more effective than it used to be, and it, mm. it, it, we've made kind of huge leaps forward with Basel III, then it shouldn't really present um, um, big problems for the future. Then, that being said, as, as you say, uh, there is a need for these type of loans, and perhaps it's been given a, a worse reputation than it deserves because of 2008. Uh, do you feel then there are not a lot of inherent risks? People saying that the global economy is slowing down, uh, maybe on the verge of a recession. Uh, central banks have been uh, very aggressive in their stimulus measures that this could create another or trigger another collapse in the current subprime market? You feel those fears are a little overblown? No, I, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that those fears are overblown. But I like to think that um, um, there is a lot more cap- bank capital around this time, better quality capital because of all the regulatory improvements that have been made since the global financial crisis. So the banks are in a better position to, to absorb those risks. And there's also more more transparency, so there shouldn't be this kind of um, shock um, to the system where people mm. were discovering that all these assets that they thought were worth something, they were all toxic. They, right. they, they, that should not really be repeated. So I think the banks are in a better position to absorb, absorb shocks. That doesn't mean that they're not going to be bank failures, mm. right? But we are in a better position, I think, to deal with those bank failures and to also make sure that they're not transmitted so kind of rapidly globally. So it's a very different system now right. of, um, of regulation and also bank resolution. In Europe, for example, we have the BRRD, the Bank Recovery and Resolution Directive, that came into force um, uh, only recently. So that really should help. And, of course, in there, there is bail-in, bailing in uh, creditors. So there shouldn't be uh, many more bailouts uh, out there. So... Yes, there are risks, uh, but I don't think that it's uh, subprime presents is the same sort of risk that okay. it was uh, a few years ago. So, bottom line, overall, after two thousand eight, the, these various reforms that you've uh, highlighted for us, uh, we seem to be in a position where it is indeed a situation where lessons have been learned, and yes, we might as a global community take a hit, but it will not be on the scale of what we witnessed in the aftermath of the Lehman Brothers collapse. 
exactly that's my assessment, but in um, a very nice summary of it. But uh, you know, it all remains to be seen. There may be things out there we don't know. Um, and every crisis is different, and the way we regulate, we tend to basically fix the problems that caused the previous crisis, but we can never be sure what are the problems that will right. will result in the next crisis. So we, we can we can never be sure about about the future. But then we have to learn the lessons of mm-hmm. the past, and there is no no other way really. And I believe we have learned those lessons. But again, let me put a, a, a cautionary remark there, a caveat, in that it's the extent to which Basel III has been adopted um, is important. And it's, I don't think it's been adopted everywhere, and it's not been adopted everywhere at the same speed. Mm. Um, for example, um, I don't also know how... Um, in China, uh, they, they, they are dealing with these issues, and I've been reading recently that they somehow they've been kind of um, following on the on the footsteps of this of, of what happened in the United States in terms of creating asset-backed securities, so which are backed by subprime loans. And uh, I don't know enough about that, but it's certainly a, certainly a factor. And of course, anything that anything that, uh, right. that, that is a blow to the Chinese economy would be a blow to the world economy. We will leave it there. Professor, thank you so much yeah. for joining us. Appreciate your time. Okay, thank you. Uh, that was Professor Panikos Dimitriadis from University of Leicester. Professor Yang, um, I wouldn't say the professor was being uh, Pollyanna-ish, on, on, but he does seem to have a bit more of a bullish outlook as to, okay, we're seeing an emergence of subprime loans uh, around the world and people automatically will associate subprime loans with the 2008 financial cr- crisis. We are better prepared. Maybe there are some uh, things to be uh, worried about. Do you generally share that, uh, I suppose, somewhat optimistic view of this situation globally? Okay, well, theoretically, I think the important statement there was that Professor said that if it was priced accordingly. Uh, so if it is risky, then it'll be cheap to buy and risks, uh, and the returns will be high. That's what you basically mean by pricing uh, this type of uh, financial assets. And the thing, at least here, is that we're controlling part of that price. Uh, we're limiting the interest rate that these companies can charge. Now, uh, there might be a case where uh, you have a very uh, risky person, but he knows himself that he can make this project work and mm-hmm. he needs a loan. So he's willing to pay a very high interest rate for it. That's what, at least theoretically, what uh, subprime uh, loans are for. Uh, now, if it's uh, theoretically, if it's priced right and if the uh, returns uh, reflect the underlying risk and everything else, then subprime mortgage, uh, subprime loans like this will be good. Okay. Uh, now, the problem is, uh, can we price this accurately? Uh, and what we saw in the uh, subprime uh, subprime uh, financial crisis was that sometimes people get over enthusiastic or under enthusiastic. So it's not so. There's a lot of psychological factors involved in pricing, but there's also some regulatory factors as well. And at least from the uh, Korean lenders' point of view, this is one factor which may limit that kind of pricing. 
Okay. Now, when we talk about the global aspects of this, and he talked about how the, there was a lot of factors into play, why it wasn't just subprime mortgages. Um, it was the uh, the credit agencies uh, packaging these, uh, rating them AAA when they were in, indeed toxic. Here in Korea, though, and again, we've made this distinction. Back in 2008, uh, the relatively emerging, obviously there were some problems, but relatively emerging unscathed because of the fact there was less exposure here in South Korea to what we witnessed in the United States and other parts of the world. Some analysts are saying right now the situation in Korea is actually a little bit more tenuous. So we've got some problems. We've got exports, uh, anemic, uh, uh, growth is slowing, consumption not uh, growing as fast as, as we want. And then, of course, that big elephant in the room, the household debt crisis. Are we actually in a more, I guess, vulnerable position than we were in 2008, in your view? Well, not 2008 right after the crisis, but the problem is uh, somewhat more serious than it was probably around 2009 because the uh, this uh, slowdown has been going on for so long. Now, there's two ways of handling it. One is just take care of the short-run problem first and then deal with the long-term problem. What I mean by that is increase uh, the uh, fiscal expenditures, lower the interest rate, uh, let the consumption and investment build up, even though it may worsen the uh, government and private debt problem, but hopefully increasing consumption and investment due to the increasing debt will get the economy started again, and then you can deal with the debt problems later. So you would that's get strat- that? Uh, actually, that's strategy one. Okay. Strategy two is uh, to uh, increase uh, de- increasing debt for the short run is too dangerous, so let's concentrate on the long-run problem. Uh, let the short-run problem work itself out. It may take longer, but over- in the uh, long term, we'll have higher growth because we have less debt. So you have strategy one and strategy two. Uh, I would prefer strategy one myself. Oh, but, okay. but strategy two is, I think, a valid point of view. Problem with Korea is that we've been going on from one, two, one, two for about five years now. Is, so, that, is that a problem with the inherent political system of if you have non-multiple, just single-term presidencies and, and the next regime, even if they're from the same party, tend to kind of do away with the policies of the past and, and kind of move in a different direction? That's part of the problem, but I don't think that's the only one because even within, a, uh, even within the Tenri party or even within the uh, Taminju party, you have people who have opposing views. So what seems to be happening is when they think that when the long-term news becomes more popular in the news, when long-term problems becomes more popular in the news, you uh, go for strategy uh, strategy two. Yeah. And then people worry because, well, we're leaving the uh, short-term problem. Uh, we're not doing that much about short-term problems. So when that comes up in the news, that comes up in the conversation, you move to strategy one. So it's a combination of political weakness It's a poli- uh, uh, and uh, the uh, lack of political will as well as psychology. Well, then I'll, uh, along the lines, I guess a specific example of what you're talking about is everyone's been talking about the household debt problem for, for years now, and it's a big problem. It's growing. Uh, but there was also concerns about the housing market being anemic, and uh, we've talked about yeah. in the past. Uh, they did a dramatic about face with the with the, uh, the the way lending was done with mortgages. It allowed someone like myself to actually even purchase home. But then 
the the fears rose again. Oh my gosh, this is going to exacerbate the housing debt problem. And they almost, in a 180 snap of the fingers, really tightened、uh, credit for for buying loans. And it almost seems schizophrenic. I know that's a harsh thing to yeah, say, but you. I don't think that. that's hard.、Okay. I think that's exactly、okay. the problem.、Uh, you have a、uh, uh, flame that completely died out in the real estate market. So when uh, Prime, uh, Vice Prime Minister Choi came in, he said, "Let's ignore the long-term problem. Let's deal with the、uh, real estate problem." So to,、uh, let's start the、uh, short-term economy, and then as soon as he left, then that program ended. So a lot of people think that when the、uh, spark was just starting to catch, and then you just took it away. And I think having that type of a whiplash turn continuously is worse than has, sticking to one policy.、Uh, Even、overall. if it's not the best policy. Well, yeah.、Uh, basically, because we because we've had so much uncertainty, I'm not sure if people know what to expect anymore, and that's always the、yeah. worst problem to be in.、Uh, even you know, if you're stuck in a wrong policy,、uh, then you can fix it.、Uh, people, but. At least for the short term, people will know what to expect, so they'll act.、Right. But if you have an uncertain environment, people will not act, and then no policy will work. Yeah,、uh, pretty clear that uh, unless that uh, changes, uh, we're not really going to get a great handle on this particular situation. Professor Yang, we're out of time, but as always, thank you so much for all of your analysis. Hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you.